That's right. We're going to be picking up our series on part three of choosing surrender over control. But first, who wants to hear a joke? Okay. What kind of fruit is the only kind of fruit that will never leave you by yourself? A pear. A pear, right? Now that I have your attention... We're going to be choosing surrender over control, and there's a really great example of this in the Bible, or not doing this, rather, in uh, Genesis. So we're going to be picking up our story in Genesis chapter 15. Now, God is talking to a man named Abram, but you might know him by a different name, which is Abraham. So Abram is Abraham, Abraham is Abram, the same dude, excuse me. Um, God just changed his name. I know it's kind of hard to follow, but we're there. Let's keep going. Anyway, Abraham was a man of God, and he was faithful to the way that God asked him to live. And because of this, God wanted to bless him. So God pulls Abraham aside, and he says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. However, there's a little problem with this whole descendants as numerous as the stars concept because Abraham's wife, Sarah, is barren, meaning she literally cannot have children. But as you all know, God always has a play. He's never shocked or caught off guard by our lack of faith. He knows exactly what he's doing all the time, forever, the end, period, end of discussion. So you know those weird math problems you see on Facebook that like never make sense? For instance, I have one set up for you here. Four apples plus two bananas equals 16 oranges. Math. Right? It doesn't make sense, but that's the whole point because somehow it works, but that's how God works. As you see, the Bible says God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So here we have God takes the impossible adds it to the improbable, and gets us the blessing we need. So in our story here, we have Abraham, an old dude, and Sarah, an old barren lady, equals the father of many nations. Math. It doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't. But that's how God works. It's so cool. But anyway, let's get back to our story where God explains to Abraham what's going to happen. Genesis 15, 5 says, Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. That's a pretty big promise. It sounds to me like it's a little too good to be true, right? Well, let's fast forward a little bit. Enter the scene, Abraham's wife, Sarai. Now, quick side note. Sarai and Sarah are the same person. So what happened with Abram and Abraham happened with Sarai and Sarah. So Abram, Abraham, Sarai, Sarai, Sarah, Sarai, Abraham, Abram. Got it? Good. Let's move on. Abraham and Sarah want a son so bad that Sarah is willing to do some shady business to make it happen. Sarah takes, uh, takes control of the situation. She chooses to control the situation instead of surrender. She chooses to control instead of surrender. She chooses to control. Do you get what I'm saying? Are you smelling what I'm stepping in? I thought so. You guys were smart looking. Anyway, so Sarah decides to control her circumstances and take matters into her own hand. So she takes aside Abraham and says, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. Well, spoiler alert, 
Sarah's servant, Hagar, gets pregnant. Uh-oh. Now there's trouble in the land of milk and honey. This isn't how God planned this. Sarah went rogue. She made things happen all by herself. She was a maverick. And mavericks get goose killed, okay? Mavericks get goose killed. So never take matters into your own hands. You see, when Hagar knew that she was pregnant, she, she started treating her master Sarah with contempt. In other words, she kept copping an attitude. And Sarah's like, oh, I'm not having none of that. This is my house. And so she treats Hagar so harshly that Hagar ends up running away with her son Ishmael. And we are still fighting that war to this very day. And I will come back to that in a little bit later. But jump forward a little bit more. And Abraham is 99 years old. And it's not like Sarah's some spring chicken either. She's 90. And God straight up tells them, you're going to get pregnant and have a son. In Genesis 17, 16, it says, and I will bless her, Sarah, and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Now, have you ever heard of a 90-year-old woman being really able to walk on her own, let alone get pregnant and then have, give birth? I'm gonna, I'm gonna level with you guys. I'm a dad. I know what happens during pregnancy and childbirth. I was there. It's hardcore! It is not for the faint of heart or the old and brittle. So Abraham hears God tell him this, and he just laughs. <laughs> Abraham just laughs at God. The Bible, it actually says in the Bible that Abraham laughed so hard that he hit his knees and fell on his face. And then after that laughing session, Sarah hears about it, and she laughs too. But she's laughing because three strangers show up and just tell them exactly what God just told them. They, they just straight up read their mail. And shared them that this awesome news is going to happen. And Sarah and Abraham like, yeah, okay, whatever, God. We'll believe it when we see it. And uh, it, it happens, you know. But even after Sarah chose to control the situation, after she decided to take her own apples and her own bananas and make her own son, God chose to bless them anyway. And about a year later, Sarah gives birth to a son, a bouncing baby boy by the name of Isaac, and he is the son that would fulfill God's promise. It's interesting. When you look at the bloodline and descendants of Isaac, who was born out of surrender, or surrender to God's will, and you look at the bloodline and descendants of Ishmael, who was born out of control, or taking control from God, it's a very telling story. You see, from the bloodline of Isaac, we get the nation of Israel. We get King David. We get Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, and Jesus, like Jesus, Jesus. And from Ishmael, we get the nation of Palestine and Muhammad. You see, when Sarah decided to control her circumstances, she sent waves throughout history. She created a tension that is still felt to this very day between Christianity and Islam. Control never goes well, always goes bad. Always goes bad. Everybody hear you say that. Control always goes bad. Gosh, you guys are awesome. We don't have the foresight and understanding to think thousands of years in the future, let alone make a decision based on what could happen that far in advance. That's why when we find ourselves in a situation where we need to make a decision or, or maybe we really want something and it's just taking too long and we think maybe if we do things our way, it will be, it will be better. We need to ask ourselves a few questions which leads us to our first point. 
Is it worth my concern? Now everybody repeat after me. Is it worth my concern? Again, is it worth my concern? Let's take it home one more time. Is it worth my concern? That is such a great question. And as a parent of a toddler, I ask myself this question very frequently. In fact, almost constantly. You see, my daughter is crazy smart and crazy just, oh gosh, she freaks me out. In fact, sometimes I'm worried she's going to figure out how to use the microwave to weaken me slowly with radiation poisoning and overthrow me. Like, I'm not kidding. She's, she's stinking smart. She's only two, and she's just as smart as any three-year-old, maybe a four-year-old. It's, it's really scary. So I have to ask myself this question all the time, make little decisions all the time of, is this worth my concern, or is this worth the potential fight, the potential temper tantrum? For example, if Copeland were to... That's my daughter, Copeland. If, if she were to want to play with a strange dog that was covered in rusty scissors and a bunch of spicy peppers... That would be worth my concern. See, as her father, I am charged with her well-being. And if she wants to play with some flea-bitten dog that's covered in tetanus and capsaicin oil and rabies, among other things, I need to be concerned with that. That is my concern. But if she wants to dip her peaches in ketchup, what does that really affect? Does it really matter if as long as she eats her daily serving of fruit, how she eats her daily serving of fruit, And guys, I've decided, no, it doesn't matter. I'm fine with that. That's not worth my concern. And in case you're wondering, that is true. My kid likes to dip peaches in ketchup. She's really weird. You see, when we navigate life this way, measuring things by if you should be concerned with it and how it will affect you in the long run, things get a whole lot less stressful. But maybe you're thinking, well, that's great, Sean, but how does your kid's weird eating habits relate to me in my life? That's, you know, that's a fair point. It's a good question. Well, how about this? How about other people's opinion of you? Is that worth your concern? I don't think so. Because when you know who God says you are, nothing can hold a torch to that because God says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and that you are beautiful and you are made with intent and purpose. But the world's opinion of you is a whole lot different, right? The world says that you're ugly and that you're not good enough and that you'll never live up to the standards of people. But that's so not true. So therefore, the world's opinion of us does not matter at all. It's not worth your concern. How about another example? What about getting good grades? Is that worth your concern? Yes, the answer is yes. That is worth your concern. Um, I heard some murmuring out there, and it's... No, it is. That, is. that is the truth. Succeeding at school is a great thing to be concerned with. It's kind of your job, actually. Um, now, I'm not saying you can't do anything but school. Like, have friends, get a job, come to church for crying out loud. But what I am saying is put forth your best effort. Colossians 3.23 says, Work willingly at, all, at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. So when you have that homework assignment that you're like, I just really don't want to do it. It doesn't matter. You're doing it for God, not for your teacher. Is it worth my concern? We need to ask ourselves that question before we get all bent out of shape. So during that story about Abraham and Sarah, Sean gives Sarah a pretty hard time. He's kind of hard on her. 
But if I was honest, I would say that I found myself kind of relating to Sarah. I could see why she wanted to take control in that situation. I understand and I would think that maybe I would do the same thing. Because if I was honest with you, I would say that I am a control freak, okay? I love organization, I love planning, and I hate spontaneity. That is like a cuss word to me, okay? I hate being spontaneous. If things are up in the air, even a little bit, I go crazy, okay? And just so you can get a little peek inside my crazy mind, this is what I do at night right before I go to sleep. So I, right before I lay my head down on that pillow, I am planning. I am planning what I'm gonna wear. I am planning how I'm gonna do my hair the next day. I am planning every single thing that I'm gonna be doing for the every single hour of the following day. And you know what the really sick part about it is? This is what relaxes me. <laughs> I'm serious, this is what helps me go to sleep. That's how psycho I am. I'm serious. So a lot of you guys in the crowd, you're maybe like, okay, I can see where she's coming from. I understand Sarah, I understand Madeline. We like to plan, we're kind of control freaks. But then there's some of you, we'll call you the laid back ones. You're not tracking at all. You are not picking up what I am throwing down. You don't understand anything that I'm saying. And that's okay, because the next point might be for you. Our second point tonight is, is it mine to control? Now, I'm not going to make you say it a million times like Sean, because that's just obnoxious. But remember that. Is it mine to control? <laughs> that wasn't in the rehearsal. I don't think I was, any, yeah, okay. So sometimes for you laid back ones, the answer to this question of, is it mine to control? It's going to be yes. Sometimes it is your responsibility. Sometimes it is your job to take control and responsibility in that moment. God is not gonna lay out for you everything. He's not gonna wrap everything up in a pretty little bow and make everything perfect for you. Sometimes it is your responsibility to do so. So when are some times that it is healthy for us to take control? When is it healthy for us to take responsibility? Well, lucky for you, I have a few examples. The first is, let's say right now you're struggling because you are stressed out about money. You don't have the money to go out and buy a car. You don't have the money to go out and do super fun things with your, with your friends. So you're kind of worried. Well, Proverbs 10.4 says, lazy people are soon poor, hard workers get rich. So what is this verse saying? It's saying, stop being lazy. I didn't say it, the Bible said it. Stop being lazy and go out and get a job. Go out there, take matters into your own hands and go make some money. Well, now some of you are in the crowd, you're like, Psh, duh, I've already got that. Check that off the list. I have a job. I'm out there making money, but it's still not enough. Well, let me follow up with this next point. Are you tithing? Oh, the room just got quiet. Uh-oh, are you tithing on that first 10% of whatever you're making? Because this is a promise that is in the Bible. This, it says this in black and white. If you are not tithing on whatever you are earning, you will not be financially blessed. For the rest of your life, you will be struggling to make ends meet. You will be living paycheck to paycheck. You will never live in abundance. You will never live under God's cover and be financially at, at peace and financially blessed. 
But if you do tithe, oh man, get ready for the blessings that God is going to pour down on you. You guys will be amazed when you look at your bank account at the end of the month and see how much money is in there. It is seriously mind-blowing because we are no longer in like the earth's way, the world's way of doing math like this. We're in God's way of doing math, and it's seriously mind-blowing. So I don't care if you're 16 years old. I don't care if you are babysitting once a month to working a full-time job, young or old. It is our responsibility as Christ followers to be tithers as well. That is your responsibility. That is something that you need to surrender control over to God for, is your finances. So another example for when it might be okay for you to take control is maybe with your friendships. So maybe right now, you and your friends, you're really fighting. There's a lot of drama. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on. Well, here's an idea. Take control of the situation and talk to them about it. Be honest with them. Clear the air because once you do, it's going to make that situation so much better. Don't just settle for staying silent and acting like nothing's wrong because it's not going to fix anything. It's yours to control your friendships in those situations. So if you're facing a tough situation that you are wanting to take control of, our very first point tonight was, is it worth my concern? If you answer yes to this question, yeah, it absolutely is worth my concern. It is something that I am worried about that I should be worried about. Then you move on to the next question of, is it mine to control? If you answer yes, it is my responsibility, it is something that I have control over, then go out there and do it. I empower you to take control of the situation and take care of business yourself. But if you answer that question of no, it's not mine to control. I am so, so concerned about it, but I can't do anything about it. Then this next point is for you. Is it for God alone? So I'm going to be honest with you here and kind of use a personal example from my own life. A while back, I was struggling to find a job. I really was needing money because it was crazy. Every time I would look at my bank account, the numbers kept going down instead of up. Like, because I was spending more money than I was making, I was losing money, which was so weird. It's like this crazy math I just don't understand. So it was time for me to go out there and get a job. Well, I started out, and I was pretty cocky, okay? I went out there, and I was like, Psh, everyone is going to hire me. I'm going to show up in this super cute outfit. I'm just going to dazzle the employers with my knowledge and my strength and my experience. I have no experience. I am just going to amaze them and kill that interview. I don't even have to talk to God. I don't even need his help because I am in control and I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna get the very first job I applied for. <laughs> How do you think that worked out for me? Not well, okay? It was awful. I, the very first week, I thought I was gonna get a job. Nothing. I didn't get a call back. I didn't get an interview. Another week passed, and another week passed, and another week passed, and still nothing. And at this point, I was kind of freaking out. But it wasn't because I didn't have a job yet. Oh no, it was because I didn't have any control. Oh my gosh, I didn't have any control. I couldn't make those employers call me back. I couldn't go into those interviews with a list of all the questions he was gonna ask me and prepare my answers. I had zero control. 
for the first time in my life. And it was absolutely terrifying. Eventually, I figured out that what I was doing, it wasn't working. It was time that I swallowed my pride and I talked to God like I should have done in the first place. So I decided that I needed to get real with him. So I did. I talked to him and I told him about how bad it hurt, how bad that rejection hurt of these employers saying no to me when they didn't even know me, when they didn't even give me a chance. I told him about how scared I was that I was running out of money and I had no prospects for jobs. I apologized for being prideful and not bringing him along and helping, letting him help me along this journey. I begged him for help and I surrendered my control over to him and I chose his will, his will over mine. Now guys, I love control, that's one of my favorite things, but when I released it, oh my gosh, it was like a weight was lifted off of my chest. I no longer had to worry because God was in control. Not silly old me who had no idea what I was doing. So by the end of our talk, I was hardcore ugly crying. Like there was snot, there were tears. It was really, really gross. But as usual, my savior, my father, my daddy, he picked me up. He dusted me off. He forgave me, even though I was so unworthy. And I got hired the very next day. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, don't worry about anything but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. So don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Don't ever do what I did where I made prayer my last resort. Don't ever do that. Prayer should never be our last resort. It should always be our first line of offense. It should never be something that you do as a last resort where, oh, I'm not getting a job. Okay, well, I guess I better pray now. That is never the way that you should go about it because it is going to be a much harder and tougher path. So what can we do when we answer this question of, is it for God alone with a yes? We pray. Because we can't make those employers call us back and hire us. We can't make Copeland stop dipping her peaches in ketchup. We can't fix our parents. We can't fix our siblings or our friends. We can't heal our dying grandma of cancer. But who can? God can. God can as soon as we choose to surrender over that control that you've been gripping with everything that you have. As soon as you surrender that to him, oh man, now it's God's will. Now it's God's plan. It's in his control and he is going to make everything better. All you have to do is pray to him, surrender that control over to him, and watch and see the incredible, amazing things that God is gonna do. Choose surrender over control. I just wanna share my heart a little bit with you guys about this particular subject matter um, and choosing surrender over control because uh, Recently, I've, I've been struggling with this a lot. Um, so about a year ago, I experienced a very, very hard and an intense betrayal. Um, and it, it put me in a place of pain and of fear 
and of distrust, and not just distrust of people. I, I mean, I stopped trusting people I've known for years who I've grown up with, who, who I know have my best interest at heart and have proved themselves trustworthy. I just don't, didn't trust them. But moreover, I didn't trust God. I was, I was afraid of what God might do to me, what he might take from me, because everything that I had in my life, everything that I had built was ripped away from me so suddenly, so fast. And I was looking through a distorted lens and I blamed it on God, but it was not God because God is trustworthy. God is good. God is faithful. These are things that I know and, and teach. So I got stuck in this place of fear of, I can't, I can't even talk about this because I work at a church. What does that look like for me? How can a guy who's trying his hardest, working 70 hours a week to be a pastor, talk about his doubt and unbelief and faithlessness? How does that work? Well, I went up to this retreat in the mountains last week, a place called Revel up in Hot Sulphur Springs. And uh, wouldn't you know it, God has a way of working things out. That, that's exactly what we were talking about one night is how to, how to surrender, how to choose surrender, how to choose surrendering to God's will over whatever you're holding onto. And it takes an exchange. It takes a letting go of whatever you're controlling, whatever you're just clinging to. And, and for me, it was fear and distrust for our Father, the Creator, who loves me more than anything. And I didn't trust Him. I stopped I stopped, trust, I stopped asking for things. I stopped trying to share things with him. I stopped having quiet times with him because I was afraid that everything good in my life that I worked so hard to get back to was gonna be taken away from me again. I was afraid of God. I was afraid of my calling. I was afraid of my best friend. And what could happen? But then I was given an opportunity. I was given an opportunity to take my control that I was clinging to so tight and hand it to God and surrender. So when we raise our hands, do you guys know what this is? It's the international symbol of surrender. In any battle, any war, when you raise your hands, that means I surrender. And so in just a minute, we're gonna have an opportunity to come down forward and take whatever it is that you're controlling lift it up to God and let go and surrender and maybe for you that's a relationship that you need to let go of that you know you need to let go of but you you like the way it feels you like the instant gratification and you're fighting to let go of it but I, I bet you money God is something better if you surrender Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.